Welcome to Stories from Among the Stars. You're listening to The Last Watch by J.S. Dewis. Chapter 16 Adequin took a few long, steady breaths. She wiped her sweaty hands on the front of her jacket, then unhooked her harness. Puck let out a resounding sigh. And that's why I punched you in the face. Adequin turned a fierce glare onto him. His demeanor sagged. Sir. She slid to the edge of her chair and swept open a menu to check their speed. We're good, sir, Puck assured. We're outrunning it for now, but it's picking up speed. We'll need a long-term solution. He continued to speak, but his voice faded away as her mind reeled. She swallowed hard. It didn't even matter if Legion ships came at this point. They wouldn't be able to get to the Argus to save the crew, then back out of the gravitational pull. If they tried, they'd just be sucked into the divide as well. Adequin, came Mesa's calm voice again. She'd entered the cockpit and Puck now stood over her shoulder. That was impressive, sir, Puck said. You saved them, Mesa agreed. Adequin didn't respond. If Jackin almost got pulled in that easily, what chance did the Tempest have? That was another 16 souls she was responsible for. It was a larger ship, sure, with more powerful engines designed to withstand the bizarre gravitational influences of the Divide. But they'd been barreling toward it at full speed without realizing it also barreled toward them. Even if they'd accelerated safely, how long would that balance last if it was moving? A calculation they wouldn't know how to account for. Puck cleared his throat. What now, sir? She blinked the dryness from her eyes and tried to remember what the plan had been. They have a warp core, she said. Even if they hadn't refilled it at Karin Gate, they should still have enough to make another trip. Okay, Puck said. We'll all have to get on one ship. Puck and Mesa stared at Adequin expectantly, but she barely noticed. How could she return to Legion HQ with fewer than 15 of the 200 people she'd been responsible for? How could she face their families, or Lujan, or anyone? And how could she leave the Divide without knowing if Griffith was safe? Mesa stepped to the console and pressed the comm link with one dainty finger, as if warily squishing a bug. Optio North, this is Animus Mesa de Roe. Uh, go for North. We are going to get a safe distance away, then transfer your warp core and your crew onto our vessel. Is Rake okay? She is fine. Okay, he said, then cut away for a few seconds. Hey, we have a lot of supplies on board. Maybe you should come here instead. Might be easier to pass people than crates. Adequin narrowed her eyes at the comms screen. Why did supplies matter? They'd hop to Karin Gate, inform the Legion, then get on the first bus back to the Corps for reassignment. Mesa looked to Puck. Do we have enough suits? No, but the sectors can be vented separately, Puck answered. We can get everyone into crew quarters and take a few shifts. Mesa's eyes drifted to Adequin. Adequin gave a stilted nod. Mesa pressed the comlink again. 
Very well, Optio. We will call back when we are ready to board. Adequin stared at the control screen, watching as their speed approached maximum. EX, Puck said. You want to head over first so you can talk to Optio North? I'll go last. I'll stay and man the pressure. Puck didn't respond at first, but eventually gave a short nod. Yes, sir. He headed into the common room, and Mesa stood in the doorway and looked back at her. Puck and I will get the first round, prepared for transfer. I will call when we are ready and we can align the ships. Thanks, Mace. She nodded, then disappeared into the common room. Adequin waited for the door to close again, then turned back to the console. Jack? After a short bit of static, his voice rang through. Hey, boss. Where's the Legion? The connection clicked on, and only empty static crackled on the air for a few long moments before he spoke. Not coming, boss. Not coming, at all? Let's talk about it once you're here. She leaned back in her chair. Okay. How could they refuse aid? How could they send no one, do nothing? And why had Jacken returned so quickly? Though anxious to find out, she knew better than to discuss it over the radio. If anyone overheard, it'd only incite more panic. And she'd had just about enough stress for one day. Puck's voice rang on her nexus. EX, sir? Here, Puck. We're far enough if you want to link up with them. We've got six suited up. Adequin called Jack in back. They reconciled velocities, then spun the ships and aligned the hatches, thousands upon thousands of kilometers away from the careening divide. Once the crew transferred and she confirmed everyone had disembarked, she pulled on her spacesuit and helmet, then launched her weightless self out the cockpit door. She grabbed onto the hatch and swept the access screen with clumsy, gloved fingers, and the door opened. The SGL stood above her, though it didn't really feel like above when nothing pulled down. A tether had been strung between the two ships. She grabbed it and, hand over hand, drew herself across the six-meter expanse between the two ships. Partway, a glint in her periphery caught her eye. She turned to look outward, back from where they came. A tiny, flashing electrical charge lit in the starless, pitch dark of the void, thousands of kilometers away. It fizzled and died and didn't return. Though too dark and much too far to tell, she knew it was the last of the Argus blinking out of existence. She looked back at the SGL. Two helmets stared down at her from the open hatch. She let out a slow breath, then continued to pull herself along the tether. Puck and Cavalon were the two waiting to greet her. They reached through and guided her in, then Puck shut the hatch door. His voice buzzed through the comms in her suit. EX secured, we're clear. With a hiss, gravity pressed down on her again and her feet hit the floor. Jackin's voice crackled in her ear. O2's back online. She released her helmet and pulled it off. Pressure assaulted her eardrums, and she stretched her jaw to try and pop them. Puck and Cavalon removed their helmets as well. Good to see you, sir, Cavalon said, his face flushed and dirty, 
sweaty blonde hair plastered to his forehead, he smiled at her wearily. She gave him a nod, then looked over as the doors across the circular room slid open. Nine soldiers walked in from the crew quarters, Emery, Warner, and Arandas among them. Some wandered in shocked reverie, others clumped into small groups, murmuring among themselves. They stepped aside to make room as Adequin headed for the open cockpit door. Mesa stood inside, talking quietly to Jackin. She'd shed the flowing top layer of her navy dress and now wore the fitted vermilion undersuit, ornately embroidered with contrasting reflective thread. Their conversation ceased, and Mesa inclined her head. I will let you two speak. She left into the common room, swiping her hand over the door control as she did. It slid shut behind her. Adequin leveled a flat look at Jackin. You guys talking about me? Jackin marched up to her, and to her surprise, wrapped his arms around her, lifting her off her feet. That was the fucking coolest thing, Jackin. I have ever seen in Jack my goddamn life. He set her down, but kept his arms wrapped around her. His grip loosened into a soft hug, and his tone became serious. That was unbelievably dangerous. Thank you. Never do it again. You're welcome. He stepped back to look at her, eyes widening. Her face flushed in confusion, and a sting of pain along her cheekbone reminded her of being punched into unconsciousness by Puck. Jackin's eyebrows lifted. What happened to your face? She scowled. Rampant insubordination. What? It doesn't matter. What the fuck is going on? Where's the Legion? His brow furrowed into concern. Boss, no one's at Gate. Well, they don't always station additional troops at some of the less frequented gates. No, he said, shaking his head, his voice growing quiet. No one is at Karin Gate. It's deserted. She stared at him, half expecting him to break into a grin and say, gotcha. But he just stared back, unblinking. Were they attacked? He shook his head. I don't think so. There's no signs of struggle, no bodies or blood, and nothing in the logs. Systems were in reserves, gates off. It's been abandoned. It's off? He nodded. Did the comms work? No. She let out a hissing sigh. Of course not. Why would they? And it gets better. He pulled on the torn collar of his shirt, revealing a shoulder covered in bloody scrapes. It was bugged by drudgers. Shit, Jack. They pounced on us once we were already inside, and we had to retreat. We barely got out of there. Are the others okay? Fine. Warner took a couple hits, but we patched him up. Well, shit. She cleared her throat. So, to clarify, he put his hands on his hips and nodded. Go ahead. The only place we can reach via our single warp core in our overpacked exploratory vessel devoid of armaments is a defunct Apollo gate currently occupied by drudgers. Replace occupied with overrun and that about sums it up. How overrun? There were over 50 on the bioscan I did. We didn't stick around to confirm. She chewed her lip for a few moments. 
Fine, let's go. Jackin blinked in surprise. Let's go? What other options do we have? Well, none, but he shook his head. What's the plan exactly? We're going back and we're going to fix those comms. And since we can't take a Hermes through the gate, we'll take the Drudger's ship. Jackin barked a laugh. Take the Drudger's ship. She picked up a discarded weapons belt off the co-pilot's seat. Sentinels may only have laser pistols, but my clearance will grant us access to the arms lockers on the station so we can get our hands on some better firepower. She flashed a grin. And we're 15 Legion soldiers. That's almost half a platoon. See, Jackin began, crossing his arms and sighing. You say almost half a platoon, but I say not even half a platoon. Set the course, Jack, she said. We're taking back Karengate. Adequin had never put much thought into the existence of a higher power. In a universe somewhere in the realm of 20,000 billion light years wide, with countless galaxies, solar systems, planets, and forms of life, it seemed too inconceivable for one being, supernatural or otherwise, to orchestrate. But if one did exist, then Adequin knew for certain they'd decided to focus their spiteful gaze upon her. For what sin, she didn't know, but it had started to get annoying. Not ten minutes into their trip, the SGL decelerated from warp speed in a glorious shower of flashing light and misdirected asium charge. She picked herself up off the cockpit floor, and Jackin looked down at her from the pilot's chair. Boss, we got a problem. No shit. Jackin's fingers flew over the controls. I think something might have uh, jarred loose during our little maneuver jarred loose? Yeah, I'm getting a malfunction. He leaned over the console and enlarged an overhead of the ship. There. He pointed to a flashing red icon on the port quarter. The small distress symbol meant nothing to her. Can it be repaired? She asked. Maybe. We'd have to go out and see what's actually going on. We can't reach it internally? No. Sorry. Adequin ran her hands through her hair, pulling it from its tie and letting it fall past her shoulders. Okay, let's take a look. Let's being, Jackin asked warily. You? I'm no mechanic. Mechanic? It's part of the warp drive. Okay, who do you think can help? Jackin shrugged. I don't even know who all we have left. His shoulders dropped. Adequin's gaze flitted to the ground, a knot twisting in her stomach. Lace. They needed lace. She didn't even know if warp drives had been a part of Lace's skill set, but the woman had a thousand stories of all the different shit she'd had to fix over her 40-some years as a legionnaire. She'd have found a way to fix it. She always did. Always had. Sorry. Jackin continued, his voice haggard. I'm just not sure who knows what. Adequin cleared her throat, then gathered her hair back up and retied it. Let's find out. She opened the door and walked into the common room. Soldiers, she called, 
The soft hubbub died and their frightened faces turned to look at her. Everyone okay? Their response came in murmured agreements and tentative nods. Who has a background in astromech? Feet shuffled and no one spoke up. Mechanics, engineering, anyone? A tentative hand raised in the back. Emery and Warner turned around to look at the volunteer standing behind them, revealing a pair of nervous, tired blue eyes. Adequin sighed. Right. Degree number whatever, astromechanical engineering, of course. Cavalon, with us. She turned and headed back into the cockpit. Cavalon appeared moments later, Puck gripping his shoulders as he led him inside. The door slid shut behind them. We meet again, Jackin said. Cavalon flashed a nervous grin. Hey, Optio, long time no see. You okay working with him again, Jack? Adequin asked. Did he give you any grief? No, Jackin said. He did great, actually. Adequin raised an eyebrow. She'd have believed didn't get us all killed, not awful, or even decent, but great? Jackin gave a small shrug to indicate his sincerity, however hard to believe. Cavalon crossed his arms and huffed. Try not to look too surprised. Not surprised, she assured. Not just surprised, pleased. We got tossed from warp, right? Cavalon said, what's going on? Jackin walked over to the flight console and Cavalon followed. We've got a class G malfunction, it says. Not overly specific systems computers on these little transport vessels. Any ideas? Cavalon rubbed his chin as he stared at the readout. Huh, well, that's a catch-all classification. Could mean just about anything. I guess you might have had a hull panel lift up when, he scoffed a laugh and turned to Adequin. When you did that ludicrous mass pull, that was fucking awesome, by the way. She dampened the smile that tried to tug at her lips. His boyish incredulity was a little endearing, if very annoying and ill-timed. Cavalon turned his smirk onto Jackin. Or when you snap-warped earlier, I suppose. Adequin leveled a flat look at her optio, who scratched the back of his head and did a fantastic job of ignoring her. You were saying, she said, turning back to Cavalon, about a panel? Cavalon's amusement faded, and he refocused on the display. Right, well, you might have caught some debris or rattled something loose during that slingshot. If a hull panel around the engine's nacelle lifted or bent, it could have exposed a part of the outer engine and be giving you a reading like this. Might just need tightening back up. Might? Jackin asked. Cavallon shrugged. Yeah, might have ripped something clean off, too. No way to know without getting eyes on it. All right, Oculus, Jackin said. Get an MMU from cargo and get suited up. Cavallon's eyebrows raised as he looked to Jackin. Get a what now? An MMU, Jackin repeated as if Cavallon simply hadn't heard him. Then dawning realization crossed Jackin's face, and he ran a hand through his black hair. Oh, void, 
Cavalon, Adequin said. He swung his highbrowed look to her. Yeah, sir. You've never done an EVA? Me? No. Well, I don't know. What is that? Extravehicular activity? She said. You've never spacewalked. Cavallon's eyes widened. Oh, right. No. He shook his head fervently. I worked on engines with my feet on the ground, full of gravity. He grinned and let out a nervous laugh. Might be the only certified astromech that can say they've never been in space. Adequin forced out a steadying breath. She could imagine it now, their only hope at repairing the warp drive, slipping his tether and bumping off the hull or triggering his thrusters, then rocketing off into the depths of space, spinning endlessly until he ran out of air. I'll tandem with him, Puck said. She quirked a brow, eyeing the circuiter carefully, though the offer appeared genuine. He certainly seemed to be trying to make up for jacking her in the face earlier. You sure, circuiter? Sorry, with him? Cavallon tried to interject, but Puck ignored him. Positive, sir. How many times have you walked? Adequin asked. Cavallon cleared his throat. As in Puck and Cavallon? Just in basic, Puck answered. Go on a spacewalk? Cavallon continued. She shook her head. I'll go, we can't risk this. Shit, Rake, Jackin started, but she held up a hand. I'm going, end of discussion. She grabbed a discarded helmet off the table and shoved it into Cavallon's chest. His face paled to a rather unhealthy shade of white. Suit up, soldier. Chapter 17 For the third time that day, and the third time in his life, Cavallon stepped into a spacesuit. He'd started to wonder if he should just keep it on all the time. The rest of the crew had been sequestered into the other sections, and he stood alone with Rake in the common room. She'd already suited up, except for her helmet and gloves, and now strapped a multitude of tool holsters to her arms and legs. Cavallon withheld a groan as he bent to lift his suit over his shoulders. Despite the short, fitful nap he'd taken on their ride back from Carangate, his skin and muscles still throbbed from overworking his imprints during their drudger encounter. Rake finished tightening down the last of the tool holsters, then crossed the empty room toward him. He began to carefully overlay the folds of the suit, but she pushed his hands away to do it herself. Her fingers flew up the seam with practiced proficiency, and the pearlescent, nanite-infused fabric stitched itself together seamlessly as the folds met. The swollen bruise on her cheek had started to darken. Where'd you get that shiner? He asked. Your CO? Cavallon scoffed. Puck? Yeah. Her eyes remained focused on sealing up his suit. Punched you? Yeah. He lowered his voice. Did you deserve it? She gave him one of those glares that made his stomach flop and his cheeks burned. Joke, sorry sir. She finished with his suit then gave the seal a pointedly firm pat and he had to take a step back to catch his balance. 
She picked up a mess of black strapping, untangled it, and held it up in the proper shape. The tandem harness, she explained. He took it and shimmied it up around his hips. Rake grabbed his shoulder and turned him around, then pulled the loose straps up his back. He felt like he was being dressed by a valet, a rather harsh valet, to attend some allied monarchy's formal affair. He honestly wasn't sure if that would be more or less fun than what he was about to do. He bent his elbows back to slide his arms through, and his shoulder muscles screamed in pain. I don't know about all this, he said warily. The key is no sudden movements, she said. He spun on one heel as she twisted him back around. No sudden movements? Was this spacewalking or escaping from a predator? She tightened the harness straps with a series of curt tugs. A tiny bump can send you careening out of control. Careening, careening. So keep your movements slow and methodical, or better yet, just let me drag you along. Don't even participate. Don't participate, copy, sir. That he could get behind. But he couldn't stop thinking about how agitated he'd felt when he'd done his depressurized walk in Novum Sector earlier. Gravity had made it seem far less real that nothing but a pitiless vacuum existed on the other side of that glass. It had still been awful, but it had been tolerable. He didn't think this would be the same sensation. Rake dropped his helmet onto his head, and it buzzed as it sealed itself shut. The display flickered to life against the glass visor. His eyes darted across the information. His vitals sat on the left. Heart rate, respiratory rate, blood pressure, temperature. The suit and external temperatures were listed on the bottom, along with a series of questionable numbers. Text flashed across the center of his vision. MMU attachment detected. It vanished, and a percentage counter appeared at the top, showing his emergency thruster fuel to be at 100%. Emergency? The heart rate indicator blipped and switched from green to yellow. Rake took his wrist and activated the Nexus interface built into the arm of the suit. She pressed in a few commands, and the display in the helmet disappeared. Comms are still on, but you don't need all the HUD junk distracting you. Rake pulled on her gloves, then secured her own helmet. We're clear here, Jack. We are, Cavallon croaked. She picked up a tether from a winch on the front of her own harness and fastened it to the front of his. With a thunk, she patted his helmet, and he thought he saw a reassuring smile through the glass. Yes, we are. Jackin replied through comms. Copy, boss. A second later, the room depressurized and his feet lifted off the floor. The tether connecting them wound through the air, slithering like a weightless, slow-motion serpent. Rake moved into the open hatch and floated down until she disappeared from view. The slack left the tether, then tugged on his stomach. Cavallon? Rake's voice crackled through the comm link. Yes? Ready? Oh, yes. He pressed against the wall beside him, then lightly pushed away and drifted feet first through the opening. He floated past Rake, who held onto a handlebar outside the hatch. Don't look down, Rake said. He half thought she was joking, but her tone came flat and deadly serious. 
Of course, he immediately looked down, or rather past his feet because down was no longer relevant. And there it was. Nothing. Just infinite, black, nothing. But as he looked down even farther, he saw the beginnings of it. A faint gradient of stars that became denser and denser as they moved toward the center of the universe. Compared to the total abyss when facing outward, inward shone with an almost blinding luminance. He couldn't stop staring, and moments later he realized he'd tilted quite far forward, nearly parallel with the bottom of the ship. Void, Rake cursed. A small tug on the tether pulled on his stomach and twisted him around to face her. She looked at him from beside the hatch over two meters above. By not participate, I didn't mean let yourself drift off, she chided. His cheeks warmed. Sorry. With the tether in hand, she carefully pulled him back toward her. Hold on to that. She pointed to a handlebar, and he gripped it with both hands. Rake took another handle, then pulled herself from bar to bar across the bottom of the ship like she was in a weightless jungle gym. She stopped, releasing the tension on the tether enough to turn around and face him. Cav. Cav? She hadn't called him that before. Cavalon, she repeated. Yes, sir? You coming? Oh, right. With a shaking hand, he reached forward and grabbed onto the next bar. Just one at a time, she encouraged. So he did it. Literally one at a time, getting a firm grip with both hands on each bar before reaching to grab the next. He caught up with her, and after a few endless minutes, they arrived at the edge of the ship. Rake let go and palmed her way up the side, then disappeared around the corner. Just let go, Rake said. I'll pull you up. The slack in the tether disappeared. With a focused effort of will, he unclenched his fingers. He hovered free for a moment. Then the tether pulled him forward and up the side of the ship. Rake rested a meter up, arm hooked through a long handle on the side of the hull. She guided him up, and he grabbed onto the same bar. He gestured to the MMU on her back. Why don't we use that thing to get around? Safer if we don't. Less chance of an accident. Accident? He barely choked out the word. It's only for emergencies. He nodded numbly as a wave of warmth rolled through him. You okay? It's just, it feels so claustrophobic, you know? I know, she said, her tone patient. It does. It's normal. He let out a shallow breath. Sorry, is it hot in here? Out here? Here? No, she said. Blood rushed to his head and her voice grew muffled. It's actually very, very cold. Well, not technically, but you know how it works. Right. Kevalon reached to wipe sweat from his forehead, but just thwacked his hand into the glass of his helmet. He squinted as a bead of sweat rolled off his brow and floated past his eye. He imagined the heart rate indicator in his HUD would have been a particularly vibrant shade of red by now. I just feel like I shouldn't be this hot, he croaked, the words thick in his suddenly bone-dry mouth. He looked up at the endless black above him, except it wasn't up. There was no fucking up. He tried to take a deep breath, but the air had solidified. It caught in his throat and his windpipe constricted. He needed out of this suit. It was suffocating him. He reached up to paw at his neck. 
No, bloody void, Mercer. Rake gripped his arm and pinned it to his side, pressing him against the hull. Jack, Rake barked. Go for north. Cavallon's vitals reading, okay? Heart and respiratory rate are elevated, but his temp and blood pressure are good. He's acting like he's freezing to death. Cavallon shook his head. Not cold, hot. I'm too hot, he insisted. Somewhere in the back of his mind, he knew that when humans got too cold, they started feeling too hot, but he couldn't focus on trying to justify his illogical behavior. Temp reads good on my end, Jackins said, but his pulse spiked again. I'd try to calm him down, boss. Cavallon clenched his eyes shut, but his head still spun, like that level of drunk right before blacking out. He'd much, much rather be drunk or blacked out. He tilted his head back farther, trying to counteract the vertigo. Well, hey now. Rake's voice came through his earpiece again, calm and patient, but firm. You're spiraling, Cavallon. Rein it in. Okay, okay. His hand cramped as he clenched the handlebar even tighter. He opened his eyes and tried to focus on her, instead of the absolute nothing reaching out in every direction around him. Listen, Rake said. You're fine, but do you want to talk about what to do if you lose pressure? Cavallon's wavering vision steadied. He liked knowing things. And of course she'd know what to do. She was a titan. She'd probably done a thousand spacewalks. Who knew what valiant feats she'd accomplished while traipsing about in the vacuum of space? Okay. His heartbeat slowed enough he could hear clearly again. If you lose pressure, exhale. First and foremost, just exhale. Don't hold your breath. Right. Exhale. He exhaled. Got it. Use your imprints to coat the skin around your neck and chest. Okay. Imprints, check. You'll only be conscious for a few seconds after that. A few seconds? He croaked. Fifteen, maybe. But it'll take another ninety seconds or so for you to actually die. That's plenty of time for me to toss you back into the ship. Ninety seconds? That long? Maybe even two minutes. You swear? She tentatively released his shoulder, then held her palm toward him. On my life, soldier. But what about the temperature? You said yourself it's freezing. It's well beyond freezing. Oh, void. No, no, listen, she said hurriedly. It all takes time. Your body doesn't instantly lose all its heat. There's no convection, conduction, any of that shit. You're a fucking scientist three times over. You should know all this. I know. It's just... He took a sharp breath in but gained nothing from it. He couldn't let it out and he couldn't try for more. He couldn't breathe and couldn't find his voice back. Cavallon, don't freak out on me. Rake released her grip from the handlebar. His heart hammered against his chest. She'd just let go. Yet she didn't drift away or go firing off into the void. She merely hovered, floating gently toward him. No sudden movements. She held on to either side of his head with both gloved hands, then pressed the front of her helmet into his with a soft, hollow thunk. Her hands blocked his peripheral view, and the endless nothing around him disappeared. He could see nothing except her face, lit by the blue and white flashes on her suit's display. You're fine, she said quietly. Wisps of hair hung across her eyes, her black eye. Why had Puck punched her? 
You're safe, I promise. He swallowed hard. The knot of tension in his chest loosened, and he found his breath back. His throat and chest ached from the stress, but he believed her. Can you do this, Cavallon? She asked seriously. It wasn't a challenge, but an offer. This was his way out. If he wanted to take it, she would let him. He cleared his throat. I can do it. Good. She released his helmet and drifted back. Now let's get this over with. Slowly, meter by meter, Rake pulled them along the arc of the hold to the port quarter of the ship. He knew she continued to take it easy for his sake, that she'd have rocketed right over there and latched on in two seconds if she didn't have to tote his incompetent ass behind her. Finally, with a high degree of relief, he saw it, a crumpled panel on the shell of the warp drive's exterior housing. That's it, he said. Good, heading up, hold here. She released the winch and palmed her way up the side of the ship toward the bar closest to their destination, though it sat over a meter too far away. They'd have to perform the repair without holding onto the hull. Rake pulled him up to her, then switched his tether from the front to a hook on his lower back. She then fastened a short tether from the back of her own harness to the bar. Rake let go again, completely, and floated away from the hull taking him by the shoulders and guiding him toward the broken panel. She placed him right in front of it and let go. Remember, slow and steady. She remained hovering just off his right shoulder. Got it. He gave a short nod, then carefully gripped the loosened panel. It didn't budge, a fact which relieved him greatly. Something probably hadn't ripped off entirely if there wasn't an open, gaping hole in the side of the ship. I need the... Rake's hand appeared holding the zero-G impact driver. Thanks. He slowly took it from her grip. How is everything so fucking hard without gravity? It made no sense. Cavallon moved the drill toward one of the bolts on the bent panel, and as he pressed down, his body floated away from the hole. His hand shook and his grip loosened. The drill began to float away, but Rake grabbed it and pressed it back into his hand. His breath started coming in shorter gasps again. Jackin's voice crackled through. Rake, kids' vitals are spiking again. Cav, just relax. Pretend you're back at university. He took a wavering breath. Which one? Whichever you did astromech at. Cavallon secured the drill onto the bolt, then began unscrewing. Altum Institute. Okay then, you're back on Elysia. Shit, I don't want to be back on Elysia, he grumbled. He finished removing the first bolt and it floated away. Rake grabbed it and he moved on to the next. Even if he could go back, even if the full force of the Mercer Guard wouldn't come down on him the second he hit atmosphere, he'd die a happy man if he never had to breathe a single lungful of that scrubbed, over-oxygenated air again. The news vids, propaganda poorly disguised as SC tourism initiatives, and even the historic records would have everyone believe Elysia was the closest example of a utopia humanity had yet to have the good fortune of witnessing. Though each of the royal family's home planets had their own unique offering of sins, Elysia alone embodied everything Cavallon hated about the allied monarchies, and then some a rampant and worsening caste system, systemic oppression, an unbalanced, wildly corrupt legal system, 
The list was endless. Cavallon cleared his throat as he removed another bolt. I mean, not that I want to be here, he clarified, but I definitely don't want to be there. Okay, Rakes said, letting out a soft breath. Then what's your favorite planet? Artora, easy. More bolts floated off and Rake caught them. You're on Artora then. He could almost feel the warm, humid spring air on his cheeks. The panel floated loose, and Rake's hand appeared in his periphery and grabbed it. He inspected the open hole and found the secondary nasal paneling bent as well. He began to unscrew the bolts, fastening it down. What am I up to on our Torah? he asked. Well, no good, certainly, she grumbled. But for now, you're just at the spaceport fixing a ship. Which port? Hera. Wait. Who the hell's flying our Hermes around the core? I don't know, she said. Just some old explorer guy. Old explorer guy? You can do better than that. What? She scoffed. You expect some elaborate backstory? I mean, if you want. Cavallon finished removing the secondary panel and passed it off to Rake. He peered down into the opening where a resonance dampener coil floated loose. Ah, see? Cavallon grabbed the coil. This should be attached. He turned it over in his hands, checking for damage, but found none. It had merely shaken itself loose. Solder knife, please. Rake secured the loose bolts in the front pouch of her suit, then replaced the impact driver in his hand with a soldering tool. He lowered the copper coil back into place and began to reattach it. Probably caught a speck of debris, he explained. Worked its way through the two sets of panels and bumped into this guy. A speck could cause this? Rake asked. At the speed you were going? He laughed. Definitely. You should be glad the whole hull didn't rip off. She sighed. The debris probably just tweaked it. The vibrations caused by that velocity ramp are likely what shook it loose. He explained. Now you were saying about our explorer? Right. She cleared her throat. Well, he's a haggard sort, from, uh, the inward expanse. No shit. No shit. He thought he'd bring his Hermes into the core and get it traded for a decent divorcer. Oh, a starfighter, he grinned to himself. Whatever for? Well, see, she took a beat, either for dramatic effect or to try to think up something to say. Either way, he appreciated the distraction. After a lifetime of charting the IE, Rake continued, he'd finally found what he'd been hunting for all along. And what's that? The dredger horde who'd killed his family. Cavallon let out a low whistle. Damn, that got dramatic fast. He finished the last of the soldering, then doubled back around to confirm solid connections. Rake continued. So now he has some reckoning to do. Jackin laughed through the comms. Cavallon grinned. What's his plan? He's going to buy a ton of ammo and plasma charges, then take his evorcer and follow the trail. But first, you gotta fix his stupid Hermes so he can make the trade. Well, if it's for revenge, I'm all in. He confirmed the stability of the last connection and the coil held securely in place. Optio? He called tentatively. Go for north. What's your sensors telling you in there? 
Whole breach warnings are up, but our original malfunction is clear. Fixed? Rake asked. Fixed, Cavalon confirmed. Nice work. Let's wrap it up. Bolt by bolt, he secured both crumpled panels tightly into place, while Rake detailed the old explorer's plan for avenging his family. We're all green in here, Jackins said finally. See you guys back inside. Cavalon let out a deep breath. Thank you, sir. He craned his neck to look at Rake. I mean, for distracting me. My brain works better when it doesn't realize it's in mortal danger. I've noticed. Cavalon turned to hand her the impact driver, but the bit scraped against the side of the hull and it fell from his grip. On instinct, he dropped his hand down to catch it, but the stupid thing stayed floating. The damage had been done, however. His elbow hit hard against the hull with an innocent thunk, and he bounced away at a speed slightly faster than he felt comfortable with. He cursed at himself. He'd gone so long without any sudden movements. Shit, Rake said, quickly releasing the tension on the winch, presumably so he wouldn't boomerang and come crashing back into the ship too fast. What was that? I dropped the drill, he called out, as if he needed to accommodate for the distance stretching between them. You can't drop anything, she yelled back. There's no gravity. Damn it, she was right. Rake took a deep breath, crackling through the comms with forced patience. I'm going to rein you back in. Heart hammering against his ribs, Cavalon twisted and grunted, struggling to reach behind him to grab at the tether hooked to his back. Any hint of calm in Rake's tone dropped away. Don't even fucking touch that. But it was too late. His reckless, grasping fingers had managed to trigger one of the manual thruster switches on his MMU, and he learned the practical definition of careening as he rocketed away from the ship. The air drained from his lungs, and vertigo overtook his vision. It appeared only one side had been triggered, as he spun in one direction faster and faster. The SGL flashed by once every few seconds, then once a second, then faster until it almost seemed like it stood still again. The tether twisted around his torso, tightening as the length expended from Rake's winch. Turn it off, Rake yelled. He grasped at the switch again and the thruster ceased, but he continued to spin. Moments later, a hollow poof sounded, then something clamped down hard on his shoulders. His body stopped, though his vision continued to reel. His stomach lurched and he swallowed bile back down. He must have been facing outward because he could see nothing ahead of him, nothing in his periphery, just black, starless, galaxyless, nebulous nothing. Fucking void, Mercer, Rake cursed. Are you trying to die? The grip on his shoulders released. Then Rake's arm crossed his chest and pinned his back to her. I panicked, he said, then realized he was wheezing. The ire fell away from her tone. Try to breathe. I'm sorry, I panicked. I know. How did you do that? Grabbing onto him like that should have sent her into the same rotation. I counteracted your spin with my thrusters. She let out a long breath. Fuck. I knew I shouldn't have given you an MMU. Cavalon had to agree. That one was on her. Sir? Yeah? I think I'm gonna be sick. Rake sighed. 
That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow Stories from Among the Stars on your preferred podcast app to get the next episode. Or if you just can't wait, you can find The Last Watch and its sequel, The Exiled Fleet, wherever books or audiobooks are sold. Thank you.